She is carrying on with joy, and that's why I like her. If you have your Bible with you, let's go to Psalm 34 this morning. We're going to take a look at how we can draw near through brokenness. This year, our focus is on drawing near to the Lord, and we have been discovering different ways in which we can do that and claiming the promise of James 4.8 that if we draw nigh to God, He will draw nigh to us. This morning, our study takes us to Psalm 34, and we're going to read verses 15 through 22. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles." The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord... Redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it is our absolute privilege to hear your voice through your word, to receive instruction directly from your mind. Father, I pray and ask that you would help us to give this text of Scripture the attention that it deserves May these words carry the weight that are intrinsic to them. May our hearts be moved by the truth that we encounter here today. May we not sit through just another church service or listen to another speech, but may we, Lord, drink from the fountain of life and may we receive words that will nourish our souls and carry us through the difficult times of life. Lord, our heart's desire, our soul's desire is just to be nearer to you And it seems like there are new impediments and obstacles every single day in our life that keep putting distance between us and you. We're so thankful that our salvation is not in jeopardy of these things, but our closeness suffers because of it. Help us, Lord, to make our way nearer today as you make your way near to us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we focus on drawing near to God, we find an unexpected and yet an unambiguous statement on how we can draw near to God in Psalm 34. I say that it is unexpected because we don't anticipate that this would be a way that we could draw near to God, but it is also unambiguous, that is, it is not clouded in poetic language. God says plainly that he is nigh to them who are of a broken heart. We expect to hear that we can draw near to God through prayer or through worship or even through obedience, but I dare say that we do not expect to hear that we can draw near to God through brokenness. Perhaps we don't expect it because we don't like brokenness. I don't really know anybody in the world who enjoys brokenness, a broken heart, a wounded spirit, the pains that come to us that break us down. Those are not things that we enjoy and anticipate, and so I don't think that we expect that they will draw us nearer to God. 
perhaps we don't expect it because we uh, realize that this brokenness means that there has been something that we have collided with in life that has left us in pieces. The word broken in Psalm 34 means to shatter. It means to rip violently. It means to crush to pieces. And in its context, it is connected with words like cry in verses 15 and 17, troubles in verse 17, and afflictions in verse 19. None of us readily invite brokenness into our lives. Because we see it as destructive and we see its destructive effects. And I think that prevents us from seeing it in any positive light. We view it only in the negative. It is broken, it is woundedness, it is hurtness, it is leaving me in a heap and in a pile. And there's just nothing positive about it. Another reason that we don't openly anticipate brokenness as an avenue of closeness to God is because when we are broken... It reduces us to our lowest levels of strength. It reduces us to our lowest levels of personal value. It reduces us to our lowest levels of hope. Think about the times in your life. You may be in one right now where you're experiencing brokenness and brokenheartedness. And how that that seems to reduce you. There are some days that you get up and man, you are just, you're on top of it. And you feel like you can, you can conquer the world and you're feeling good and your stock is high and your value is up there. But then there are some days when you feel like you are at your lowest in strength, in value, in hope. And in our human reasoning, we think that drawing close to God must be an achievement of our strength and of our success not an accomplishment of our failure. You see, this brokenness feels like a failure to you and I. Whatever it was that we've encountered was harder than we were, and it broke us, and it melted us, and it tore us, and in that place we feel like we have failed. We weren't able to overcome that. So how can this place of failure achieve anything positive in our life? But I would remind you that the Christian life, if it is anything, is a life of paradoxes. That Jesus said that when we humble ourselves, he lifts us up. That when we are low, he raises us high. That when we are weak, he makes us strong. And so if we've been paying attention, this ought to become more obvious to us. That brokenness actually is an avenue in which we can draw near to God. And so my goal in this message is to change your attitude about brokenness. You see, we come pre-programmed with this idea to resist brokenness, to become angry about brokenness, to become despairing about brokenness. And as we read this text of Scripture and we hear the words of God about brokenness, we need an attitude change about it. Not that we go looking for the things that break us. Not that we go desiring to be crushed in our spirit. But that we realize when we encounter those things that there is a benefit, that there is a positive, that there is a hope that we can look for. Instead of fighting against our brokenness, we need to surrender to it. Rather than reluctantly enduring brokenness involuntarily, we, we should readily embrace it voluntarily. You see, because brokenness is not just an encounter, it is a process. And if we handle it right, it actually brings us closer to God. 
The fact is, brokenness will come to your life. It comes early and it comes often. How many of you all can testify to that? As you look back over your life, you say, brokenness came early. Earlier than I expected it. Those innocent years of adolescence still have scars of brokenness. As we go on through life, we realize that brokenness returns time and time and time again. It comes from disappointments in life. It comes from broken relationships. It comes from financial hardships. It comes from physical illnesses. And it comes from losing people that we love. Oh, brokenness will come to you and I. But how we respond to it will determine whether it draws us closer to God or pushes us further away. You see, as we look at how people handle brokenness, we realize that there are some people who have hit some hard things in life, and instead of responding to it and allowing it to draw them nearer to God, they have resisted it. They have become angry about it, and they have put more distance between themselves and their Lord. If we respond to being broken with pride, anger, or resistance, it will thwart the spiritual work of brokenness that God wants to do in our lives. What does the Bible say? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Right? God allows those wounds to come into our life, but when we recognize that he is the most faithful friend that we have on earth and that those wounds that we encounter are not meant to injure us and hurt us and debilitate us, but that they are actually used as avenues to draw us closer to him, to enter into his strength, into his power, into his presence, and then we can have a different attitude about them. And so I want us to examine these verses from Psalm 34 and learn about the ministry of brokenness from David at a time in his life when he lost everything. The, the occurrence of this writing is that David has went from the highest spot in his life to the lowest spot in his life. What occasion this writing comes after David has been the young shepherd boy who faces off with the giant Goliath. And you remember in 1 Samuel 17 how that he was the only one who would walk out on the field and face that giant of a man who had been cursing Israel and cursing Israel's God. And even Israel's king Saul who stood a head higher than everybody else would not go out mano a mano and face this man. But David... In the spirit of the Lord said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should curse the God of Israel? And he goes in his faith in God, in the power of God, and he defeats Goliath. And he becomes a national sensation. I mean, before they get back home, they're already singing songs about David. Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. I mean, he has a meteoric rise in his late teenage years, I mean, he is appointed as a leader in the army. He is given the daughter of the king to marry. He is a celebrated hero in Israel. But as you remember, his father-in-law, the king, Saul becomes very jealous because of David's popularity. And all of a sudden, Saul begins to scheme and to plan and tries to have David killed and when that doesn't work, he takes a more direct approach and he tries to kill David. 
And when that doesn't work, he enlists others to kill David. And David has to flee from his homeland. He has to flee from his family. He leaves everything behind. So desperate is he that he goes to the Philistines to seek asylum. And there he realizes that his life is also in danger. And so he leaves that place of asylum. And it is on that occasion that David writes this psalm. He is in the midst of his brokenness. He has lost everything. And this is what he tells us. Number one, the Lord detects brokenness. The Lord detects brokenness. He senses it. Look at the picture that is being painted here of God in verses 15 through 17. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open under their cry. Verse 16 states a negative but it also is inferring the positive that the face of the Lord is against them that do evil but in contrast we would understand that the face of the Lord is toward them who do good that are his people. The righteous cry verse 16 17, and the Lord heareth it. Do you see the picture that is being painted of God? The eyes, the ears, the face of the Lord are all directed and focused on the broken. Those who are crying. Those who are hurting. Those who are in pieces. Let me tell you something. When you are broken and you're suffering from a broken heart and a crushed spirit, let me tell you something. You have the attention of God. You know, I, I, I find life to be humorous sometimes. I like to observe things that, that go on and interactions. And when I had younger children and was around a lot of younger children, I observed this anomaly called, well, I was growing up, we called it crocodile tears. Fake crying, right? And the child will fake cry to look and see if anybody's paying attention, right? <laughs> and if they figure out nobody's paying attention, the, the crying stops. Can I assure you that if you are genuinely hurting, that God sees you and he hears you, you don't have to exaggerate it. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to peek through your tears and say, is he looking at me yet? The very moment that brokenness enters your life, he's turned his face towards you. He's turned his eyes on you. He's tuned his ears in to you. If you're a child of God, the righteous they are called in this psalm in verse 15 and 17, his ears are tuned to your cries. The year that Cooper was born, we were living in Colorado, and, uh, and I, I, I'm going to embarrass Gary and Roxanne McFall. The McFalls are with us today. They, they were some of the, of the first members of our church in Glenwood Springs. I think they came around 2004, and now they're moving to Virginia, and uh, so we're excited about that. But the year that Cooper was born, do you remember we had 12 babies born in one year in our church? 
12 babies born in one year in our church. You know, we were a church plant. We were a younger church. We were attracting people of our age, and we were all having babies around the same time. And so I remember the first improvement we had to do was expand the nurseries. And so we built onto those things, and we built cribs. And, well, I'm telling you, we had 12 babies born in one year. Well, as you can imagine, somebody's kid was always crying. Especially as they got a little older and became toddlers. Our church, we, we, our auditorium, we used as a multifunction room. So every Sunday, we took all the chairs down and pushed them against the walls because on Wednesday nights, that's where we did Awana. And so you've got all these young couples who are doing all of this stuff. And you've got kids, little toddlers running around the church. And they run into things and they get hurt and they are crying. But would you believe that with all of those kids all about the same age, I could detect the cries of my child. And I wasn't the only one. We would be stacking chairs and somebody would begin crying and we'd stop and you'd kind of see everybody lean in for a minute and then somebody say, oh, that's mine. And they would go leave the room to take care of them. I was always relieved when it wasn't my child crying. and so, Or I'd say, Melissa will get them. They're all right. Do you really think that we can do that with our child and that God doesn't do it with his children? Do you really think that your ear could be tuned to the cries of your child out of the multitude of other children and that your heavenly father's ear is not tuned to your cries? And by the way, it doesn't have to be an audible cry. He hears the sorrow and brokenness of your heart and of your spirit and of your mind when it comes. The Lord detects brokenness but the psalm goes on to say that the Lord draws near to the broken verse 18 plainly says the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit what a precious promise we find in verse 18 I mean, that is a promise. That is one that you can take to the bank. You can write it down, circle it, underline it in your Bible. You can go back to it every single day. It is guaranteed that the Lord draws near to the broken. Not only is God aware of our brokenness, but he is moved to action by it. God doesn't just hear our cry and say that's not important and goes back to what he is doing. He actually turns his attention and it draws him near. To understand how the highest of heaven can condescend to the lowest of earth, I want you to listen to Isaiah 57, 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. Now listen to this. With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. That word contrite, which is used in Psalm 34 and in Isaiah 57, means crushed. It means beat to pieces. It means bruised from a hard hit. These words broken and contrite cover every imaginable scenario that you can think of in which something is torn to pieces, whether it is cloth and it is ripped, whether it is clay and it is broken, whether it is flesh and it is bruised. It encompasses all brokenness. 
And here we find another one of those paradoxes of theology that the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity is also with the humble and low and contrite broken one. You know, when I pray, I oftentimes pray the attributes of God. Part of my prayer time is is praising, it is worshiping Him. And so I praise God because He is self-existent. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need oxygen. He doesn't need the earth. He existed before any of this was in place. He is self-existent. None of us are self-existent. Our system is not self-existent. Only God is self-existent. Creation was a choice of God's volition. He did not have to create. He did not need the earth to be his footstool. He did not need the heavens to be his throne. He was in perfect peace and harmony as a triune God before the world was ever created. But he chose to create this world. And he chose to create this world because he chose to share his life and his love with other beings. And so he created a world, a planet that would facilitate human life. And he created man and woman, male and female, in his image and in his likeness. And as you think about God as creator, you realize there is this paradox. To use the theological words, he is transcendent. God is above his creation. God is separate from his creation. God is over his creation. God is beyond his creation. I would ask you today, can you go visit God? And you would say, no, I don't know how to get to where he is at. He is beyond my realm. That is the transcendency of God. It's unassailable. But we also know that he is, the theological term is imminent. He is near to his creation. He is with his creation. He is in his creation. He is through his creation. You might say, well, I don't know how to get to God, but I know that God is here. How is that possible? Well, the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity also dwells with the contrite one. Oh, aren't you glad to know that the Lord draws near to the broken It is our brokenness that draws the Lord near. In fact, what Jesus said in the beginning of his earthly ministry was this. He he quoted Isaiah 61.1 and he said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Isn't that a beautiful verse? I mean, when Jesus is entering the public ministry and he goes into the synagogue, into his hometown, and he takes the scroll and he stands up and he reads from Isaiah 61 and he reads those words that the the Lord has anointed him to preach the gospel and that he has sent him to bind up the broken heart and he closes the scroll and he sits down and it says all eyes were upon him because what he was doing was he was announcing that he's the fulfillment of the Isaiah messianic prophecy of 61. But never did it dawn on me before that part of that promise was that he sent him to bind up the broken hearted. Your brokenness draws the Lord near. 
It's what drew Christ to the earth. It was our brokenness that brought God the Son to the earth, near to us. Again, just think about how we bear the image of our Creator in this respect. You and I are image bearers of God. No other animal on the planet, no other mammal on the planet has this privilege They don't have what you and I have. We were created in His image and in His likeness. We are different from the animal kingdom in that respect. The monkey is not our nearest cousin. Because the monkey was not created in the image and likeness of God. Only male and female human beings were. And let me show you how you bear the image of your Creator. Last week, I honored my mother in the Mother's Day message. And as her death was recent, I I broke down in tears. I'm still brokenhearted about my mother's passing. I know where she is. I'm happy that she is with the Lord. But there is a brokenness about me right now. As I began to preach and as I began to cry, many of you began to cry in this room. And after I got done preaching, several of you all came to me and hugged me. Why? Because something inside of you sympathized with my brokenness. Something inside of you, pre-programmed in you, wanted to come near to me and tell me it's okay. It's going to be okay. I love you and I am with you. Where do you think that comes from? It comes from your Creator. You will bear his image. And so, friends, God does no less than that. When you're hurting, when you're sorrowing, when you're suffering, the Lord draws near to the broken. The third and final truth about brokenness from this psalm is that the Lord delivers people out of their brokenness. The Lord delivers people out of their brokenness. Notice verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He actually said that back in verse 17 too. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth him out of all their troubles. Will you notice this with me? God does not prevent us from going through brokenness. It doesn't say that God prevents you from being broken. It doesn't say that God pads you and gives you a helmet that will protect you from being broken. What it says is that he delivers us out of brokenness, out of troubles, out of afflictions. Well, friends, to be delivered out of it, you've got to go into it. Many are the afflictions of the righteousness. Listen to this. Brokenness may be reoccurring, but it does not have to be permanent. Can I say that again? Brokenness might be reoccurring, but it doesn't have to be permanent. You know, too often we view ourselves as damaged goods. 
as tainted products, as broken people who will never be whole again. Let me tell you something. Make no delusion. Brokenness will come back to your door year after year, week after week, decade after day. It will reoccur, but God delivers you out of your brokenness. It's not a permanent condition. Life in this sin-cursed world has a way of beating you up and breaking you down. But the Lord has a way of delivering you. Make no doubt about it. God has a means by which he can deliver you out of your brokenness. You want to see something that's interesting to me from this psalm? We understand that when we study a text of scripture, we study it in context. And we have the immediate context of the verses that come before it and after it. And then we have the next relative context, which is usually the chapter or the book. And then we expand out to the context of the testament that it's in, as in the Old Testament or the New Testament. And then we expand out to the entirety of the Bible. How does it fit into the meta-narrative of Scripture? Are there connecting points here that I need to pay attention to? And I want to point out to you something interesting that follows verse 19. It's verse 20, so let's read them together. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Huh. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean God-fearing people don't get broken bones? Is that what I know? I've had some broken bones. That can't be what it means. Well, when you and I expand out to the meta-narrative scripture, we begin to realize that this is a messianic prophecy that is actually cited in the Gospel of John, chapter 19, when Jesus is on the cross. Look there with me, if you would, for just a moment. John 19, 31, the Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. John 19, 32, Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other, which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs." But one of the soldiers with the spear pierced his side, and forthwith came out blood and water. And he that saw it bare record, this is John's eyewitness, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that you might believe for these things, watch verse 36, were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken. That is referring to Psalm 34 Verse 20. And so, a thousand years before Christ comes, 3,000 years before you and I arrived on planet Earth, God says, I'm going to make a soteriological reference. I'm going to make a reference to the work of salvation that I'm going to do through my son on the cross of Calvary. I'm going to plant it here and I'm going to leave it here for a thousand years. And then when my son comes to the earth and he dies on the cross and he gives up the ghost because no man takes his life from him, but he lays it down of his own free will. And they break the legs of the others who are being crucified to expedite their death. They are not going to break his legs. And I'm going to give a prophecy that says not a bone of him will be broken. 
so that you and I, in retrospect, can read this and say, hey, God had something in mind when he was writing or inspiring David to write Psalm 34. It was the cross. It was the crucifixion of Christ. It was the deliverance of our brokenness. Why is this random verse in this psalm on brokenness? Because Calvary is the greatest demonstration of God detecting our brokenness, of God drawing near to the broken, and of God delivering people out of their brokenness of sin. Do you understand that Christ dying on the cross for our sins is the deliverance from our brokenness? We are inherently broken by sin. We are cursed by sin. It has plagued us our entire life in all of human history. But on the cross, when Christ gave up his life for us, he was issuing the deliverance from our brokenness of sin and he was making us whole again, restoring us to our created design and reconciling Reconciling us to our Creator. Never were you more broken than when you were in your sin. And never were you more delivered than when you got saved. Salvation delivers you from the brokenness of your soul. And I want to I change your view on something else here. Consummation or death is God's deliverance from the brokenness of your body. Salvation is your deliverance from the brokenness of the soul. When you got saved, your soul was no longer broken. It was restored. It was made whole. You are reunited with your Creator. You are a tripart being once again, but you are still trapped in this broken body physically that has its infirmities. And this body, this body will house you until you are delivered into eternity and God gives you a glorified body like that of his glorified son that matches your restored soul and your ultimate deliverance comes that's why the Bible says things like he shall wipe away all tears and there'll be no more death and no more crying and no more sickness and no more disease and no more sin and I can say this to you my mom got her deliverance on April 13th Maxine got her deliverance last week, and Brian got his deliverance yesterday. And as sorrowful it is for us on this side, we've got to look beyond the veil of death and see into the realm of heaven and understand that they have been delivered of all brokenness, never to experience brokenness again. But here's the conclusion I want you to come to, and here's the question I want to ask you. If your Christian life begins with deliverance from brokenness by salvation, and your Christian life ends with deliverance from brokenness by death, do you really think that there would be no deliverance from brokenness in between? It began with deliverance, it ends with deliverance, and deliverance is available to you all the way through just as surely as brokenness comes in life, so does God's deliverance. Watch. If your brokenness draws you near to God. If your brokenness causes you to push away and repel Him, you're not going to experience the closest, you're not going to experience the deliverance. 
But if your brokenness, like a child, sends you running to your father, then it will bring you the deliverance and it will draw you near to your creator. I honestly cannot think of a more practical message that I could preach than this because what I know is that you're going to experience brokenness. You have experienced brokenness. Brokenness comes early and it comes often. But we need to understand that it's an avenue by which we can draw near to God. Would you bow with me? So we bow our heads and close our eyes. I know that this may not be the most popular thing that we could think about this day. But I believe it's the most helpful. I know that there's broken people in this room. People with broken hearts. People with crushed spirits. And I want you to know that God has his attention focused on you. That he has drawn near to you. And he simply wants you to turn to him for your deliverance. And he promises to deliver you out of that brokenness. Friend, do you need it today? It's there for you. Heavenly Father, I do pray for each and every one of us today. Those who may be feeling broken at some level or another. I pray that you would help us realize that this is not our permanent condition. Although it is reoccurring, there is deliverance from each and every breaking experience. And that each one of those, as we turn to you and draw near to you and you deliver us, Lord, it strengthens us, it helps us, and it brings us nearer to you. Father, I want to be able to thank you for the brokenness that comes to life. I don't want to be resentful and angry and resistant to it, but I simply want to surrender to your will and to you as a faithful creator. Father, I pray for the brokenhearted today. I pray that they had turned to you and that you would bind them up just as you came to do. And I pray for those, Lord, who may still be in the brokenness of their sin. I pray that today they would turn to Christ, that they would put their faith and trust in the one who died for them and that they would find deliverance from their sin. Father, I pray your will be done in your people today. In Jesus' name, amen.